This is Building Matters, a BG Building Works podcast covering news and topics in the architecture, engineering, and construction industry. Welcome to Building Matters. This is uh, episode three, where we are going to be diving into the world of acoustics in the building environment. I'm your host, Eric Rubottom, and today we have Eric Aiden. Uh, Eric is a senior acoustician at BG Building Works. Uh, he's been in the industry for about 16 years total. He's coming up on eight years at uh, BG. Um, he has uh, been spending his uh, entire career in that acoustics world, has a degree in acoustics from Columbia College. Uh, Eric, how are you doing today? Doing well. How are you? Uh, just, just peachy, just peachy. Um, well, let's uh, let's just jump right into it. Uh, we'll, we're going to start off with a really easy one here for you. Um, I think that uh, you know the layman out there knows that they'll hear the word acoustics and they know that acoustics means sound, right? So why not uh, why don't you expand on that a little bit? Tell us really what is acoustics in your world? Well, we. You know, acoustics is really the broad term for the study of sound. So, you know, when we think of sound, that's really defined as the physical or mechanical disturbance in a medium, such as a, a gas, a solid, or a, a liquid. Um, so, really looking at the you know vibration of waves through that medium. Um, so, you know, looking at that study of of that disturbance that, you know, there are you know, numerous disciplines or sub-disciplines of the study of acoustics um, and how it applies in the world around us. Uh, so, you know, in general, it's <clears throat> the aim is to examine on how that sound is generated, uh, how it's how it propagates and how it's perceived by humans. Okay, so a uh, whole lot of scientific and technical jargon there, um, you know, talking about disturbances and medium and all, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so can you can you can you boil it down a little bit, a little bit more simply, I guess, to a certain extent? You know, what uh, you being an acoustician, what do you do? Um, so as an acoustician, I am typically involved in the the architectural acoustic. Uh, discipline. And I am most concerned with how humans perceive sound within the built environment. So what does that mean? That means uh, if you are in a room, um, how how well is the speech intelligible? How does music sound? Uh, Are you able to hear sound from outside the building? Are you able to hear sound from the room next door? Are you able to hear the noise from the mechanical system, uh, from the plumbing pipes, uh, from the elevator, from the pool pump, Um, things of that nature. So we're really focused on the perception of sound and vibration as it relates to, to architecture. Okay. So I I think you hit on a key word there that I want to make sure that we got out on the table and that was vibration. Um, You know, I think that, like I said, when we started that, you know, I think you go up and talk to a lay person and you said, you know, what does acoustics mean to you? They're going to say it has something to do with sound. 
And at the end of the day, sound is vibration, right? I think we covered that. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I want to key in on that word of vibration because I feel like there's more to acoustics than purely what we hear, but also getting into that vibration aspect. Can you actually, can you expand on that a little bit? Sure. So the, if we look at um, sound waves, they can, um, they can be defined as what's, um, I guess we can, we can group them into, into several different groups. So the human ear can only hear from 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz on the frequency spectrum. And beyond, so below 20 hertz, so zero to 20 hertz is called infrasound, and above 20,000 hertz is called ultrasound. So what, when we talk about vibration, you know, sound is at, the, at its root vibrating air uh, as we hear it with our ears. Um, that vibration can also be perceived uh, through our sense of touch, not just through our auditory system. So, you know, and most frequently, uh, those vibrations are generally uh, felt are tend to be in the lower frequency, uh, lower portion of the frequency spectrum. So you know, anywhere from below 20 Hertz, uh, generally up to, you know, say, you know, 250 Hertz is, is uh, a good uh, range for tactile vibration that we can, you know, physically feel. Okay. So ultimately, why is it important? Okay. I think that, I think that we can, you know, realize that, you know, excess vibration can be a problem. So we want to address that or, you know, what we would consider noise to be a problem. Um, and, and we can, we can try to isolate or uh, identify those, uh, those sources and that sort of thing. But, but ultimately, you know, if I was, if, if I was a building owner or if I was an architect, why, why do I care about acoustics? Why do I, why am I so worried about it that I want to, that, that I want to either have systems put in place to, to help mitigate any acoustical issues or why I might want to do an acoustical analysis or whatever it might be. Why do I care? Well, ultimately it goes back to our, uh, human ability to, to feel comfortable within a space. And so that largely goes back to our, uh, to your sense of hearing and what that sense can tell you about a space, tell you about your environment, um, and then what that environment uh, impact is on your auditory system. So again, we, we go back to, um, you, know, what, you know, what sound is in that environment does your, does your building have acoustic systems in place to prevent uh, sound transmission from, from other spaces, other adjacent spaces? Uh, is there acoustic treatment in place to, uh, to prevent excessive reverberation? Um, are there systems in place to protect your uh, hearing from excessive sound levels and exposure? Um, these are all things that impact the human experience uh, in terms of our auditory system. And if there's, um, you know, a, uh, 
if any of these things are neglected, we can experience uh, physical and mental fatigue. Um, we can suffer from lack of concentration. Um, you know, it can even affect our ability to sleep and get quality rest. One of the things that you mentioned there uh, was about uh, different acoustic systems and, and things that can be used to, to either isolate or mitigate particular uh, acoustical issues or problems that might crop up. Um, and and I, I bring this up because I was actually just on a job site this morning where I was uh, uh, taking a look at a, uh, a, multi, uh, a larger multi-purpose space that they were starting, that they were having some echo issues uh, in there, some reverberation issues. And they, uh, the, they were putting up these, uh, these fiber panels on the ceiling uh, and that sort of thing. And I saw them and I flat out asked them, have you, have you had an acoustician actually look at this space, you know, or are you just stabbing in the dark? Um, and I'm, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the different, uh, uh, the, the different systems that might be out there to, uh, to address different issues. Um, you know, some of the typical things that we would run into, uh, and, you know, things that, uh, that for the people out there stabbing in the dark, uh, you know, what are, what are some things that you might want to do, uh, just as, uh, you know, to, to, to handle some of those particular issues that come up? Well, uh, you know, the largely talking about, um, you know, room acoustics and, and surface treatments there, they're all not, and it's not necessarily, um, you know, isolated to surface treatments. There are, are different means of, um, of building the, building these spaces to impact how sound propagates within the space. Um, so you know, what we really try to evaluate in terms of room acoustics uh, is first we look at the function of the space. What is the room being used for? Is it primarily intended for speech, uh, for music, or a combination of the two? Uh, if it is, you know, designated for music, what style of music? Is it, um, you know, monk style chant or is it rock rock and roll or jazz um orchestral thing you know different styles of music so you really try to uh, make make it such that the room supports the function uh, where we're looking for uh high speech intelligibility you know we really want to maintain a a low reverberation environment. So that means low reflections, low echo, um, which kind of speaks towards uh, the situation you experienced recently. Um, and so we you know, largely design those rooms based on uh, 3D acoustic modeling and uh, some calculations to understand the amount of absorption within the space so how much sound will be absorbed by the material the building materials in the space and then how to attack that um, from a, a, a treatment perspective uh, looking at different types of treatment um, you know it's it can get it, it's typically very very basic so we're looking at soft materials uh, whether that's a uh, you know a fiberglass panel wrapped in uh, wrapped in fabric or a uh, painted scrim. You know, there's a variety of materials. Uh, there's uh, polyethylene 
plastics, um, you know, ground up uh, denim jeans stuffed into uh, pillows or pads. Jeans and pillows. Are you serious? Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, you know, there's, uh, you know, the the curtains. So if you have a, a variable acoustic environment where you'd like it to be absorptive one day and reflective the next day, you could draw uh, heavy velour curtains and that will uh, provide some sound absorption uh, on that given surface. So, you know, there's really a lot of opportunity. Um, well, not, not a, a wide range of materials, but um, generally the, the softer absorptive materials will be effective sound absorbers. And then looking at the effectiveness of said materials, that's really where um, you know, some of the analysis comes into play where we're looking at different uh, frequency information and spectrum data to uh, really tailor the treatment to a given space. So walk me through how you would go into a uh, go into a particular space and analyze it. Um, well, so we would perform some acoustic testing. So again, we're really looking at, the trying to capture the room, the room signature as a whole. So things we're looking at in general are reverberation time and impulse response of that room. Um, and so th those two metrics will tell us largely everything we need to know about that room acoustic function based on the location of the loudspeaker and the microphone. So when we perform an acoustic test, if we are testing just the room, we bring in our own sound source and we locate a microphone uh, across the room uh, to get a really broad snapshot of, of the room's acoustics. If we are evaluating a room where there is a sound reinforcement system, so say a, a, an auditorium or a house of worship, there's two different systems under test there. We're looking at not only the, the room, but also how the, the sound reinforcement system performs within the room. So there's two different things to look at there. Um, so part of that test is to, uh, so looking at purely the, the room's uh, characteristics, we are playing, um, there's a couple different types of test uh, stimuli. So the first would be pink noise, which is, uh, it sounds like white noise, but it's, um, you know, equal energy per octave uh, instead of equal energy per frequency of white noise. So it's much more um, equivalent energy across the frequency spectrum and gives a better representation of, of low frequencies in the space. Um, so what we'll do is we'll play pink noise at a, at a very high uh, level and shut off the noise and measure how long it takes for that sound to dissipate uh, down to the noise floor. So the noise floor is the, the basic background level of the, of the room without any uh, sound playing. So that will give us the what's called the reverberation time. Um, and then 
so there's so that is one method of doing that. There's another method which is called a, a basically a tracked sweep. So we are through a uh, a tracking filter in our software. We will play a uh, a basically a frequency sweep from um, generally from 20 hertz to 20,000 hertz. Um, even though you know, our auditory system. Uh, generally won't support that anymore because of aging and other uh, damaging effects to our hearing. Um, but it will sweep from, so it will start at 20 hertz and it sounds like a, a big swoop running through the room, through the system. So um, those are the two methods of getting a good reverberation time. Um, and then we'll look at rever or not reverberation, uh, impulse response, um, which um basically looks at you know taking a an impulse of the room so a gunshot a uh, from a starter's pistol a balloon popping uh, you may have seen people clapping their hands for existence or for example um you know to make a an impulse and then we from that data we can also uh derive reverberation time and some other uh metrics from those measurements. Uh, cool. So uh, first of all, I want to apologize for the background noise that you might've heard through that. Uh, obviously my, my acoustics where I'm recording this sucks. So uh, <laughs> we'll have to get on that, Eric. Uh, so uh, what wanted to come back to one, uh, one thing that you did uh, mention there, you mentioned uh, the, the concept of pink noise and what that is. Um, there's probably a handful of us out there that are familiar with white noise and its use as a, a we'll call it a background sound that can effectively uh, cancel out noise or, or that sort of thing uh, in a space. First of all, the question I had is why is it called pink noise? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I don't know the answer to that off the top of my head. Uh, sorry to say. Oh, that's all right. Um, so let's, uh, yeah, let's figure that out because I, like, it just seems odd that you would call it pink of all of the colors you could pick. Why pink? Um, who's pink, which one's pink? <laughs> um, so, uh, the other, uh, the other, the other question I had around that pink noise versus white noise thing that, that, that we mentioned, uh, you know, I did just mention why you would use white noise. Um, maybe you can go into quickly, like, why a white noise system works and when it might not be of any use to us in solving a problem. Um, so you are speaking of uh, what's called a, a sound masking system. And essentially what we're attempting to achieve with a sound masking system is to mask the surrounding sound or uh, which essentially enhances uh, speech privacy within a room without having to adjust your architecture. So by bolstering walls or things of that nature. Um, and quite simply, it, it plays upon our psychoacoustic uh, ability of our auditory system uh, to really, you know, how we hear. and essentially the brain cannot process um, all of the information coming at it. So if you have multiple uh, stimuli, 
where uh, one covers up the other in some meaningful amplitude such that the level is louder. So if your white noise is louder than the speech in the room next to you, uh, that white noise has the, the correct frequency component as well as level, it will effectively cover that speech from your neighbor's office right up. So uh, I want to I want to take that and I want to relate it to something else that a lot of us probably have uh, some experience with lately, um, uh, and, and that is the the concept of like noise canceling headphones, uh, AirPods, or your Bose Quiet Comfort, or whatever it might be. There's there's an, an array of them out there, um, and my understanding how those work is it's actually instead of instead of pumping in a static noise that overwhelms what you're trying to uh, what you're trying to tune out those actually use microphones to capture the background noise and then flip the, the then flip the sound wave and pump that into it so it effectively that plus the background noise effectively creates a zero wave is that right that is correct awesome so i got that right yay me um, so <laughs> Uh, so where I'm going with that is, do you think that that is a, is, is in any way, shape or form the future of sound masking systems, uh, or that sort of thing, or, or does that already exist on higher end systems? Um, so I think there's an opportunity for that, um, in certain scenarios, the, such as say, like a like an airplane where you have large uh, large scale broadband noise. So when I say broadband, uh, there's no there's very little variation in the content of the noise. It's largely the same uh, over time. So you can you know say uh, an air conditioner or condensing unit, uh, you know machinery things of the of that nature. Uh, is much easier to apply an active noise cancellation to versus, say, uh, if you wanted to apply that into a, a room, for example, where you have an acoustic environment and different points of, um, per, you know, different listener locations. So it would be darn near impossible to uh, to uh, factor in all of those listener locations with the with a dynamic style of content. So not a lot of applications for that, but it, it's certainly possible. Okay. Yeah, it seems to me as, uh, as you were talking through that, that it's, it's much more geared towards sound isolation to a certain extent. So like it might, it might be applicable in a, in a, in a private office. Mm -hmm. but using it in an open area where there is, where there's going to be a lot of activity and that sort of thing. Um, it, it's, it, it's losing its applicability. Is that safe to say? Yeah. It's, it's effective over small areas. Okay, cool. So you, you stumbled onto a term earlier that I'm not going to let slide by. We're going to jump into that one real quick. And that is psychoacoustics. Okay. Uh, so aside from that being a fantastic name for an EDM band, what is psychoacoustics? So psychoacoustics is a, a, a subdiscipline of uh, of the acoustic uh, realm that focuses on how we hear as a species, and 
largely, um, you know, the different uh, the way, different ways the auditory system functions. Okay, so if if I was to parse this word apart, you know, we've got the, the acoustics part of it. We've covered very well to this point. The psycho part of it, to me, means thinking and brain impact and that sort of thing. So I'm wondering, you know, along those lines, like how does sound and noise affect us as humans? Does it go beyond just obscuring what we want to hear? You know, you're, you're talking about a kind of, the, it's a very, very broad range of, of very broad topic, um, how we hear and the different uh, impacts to our body, our, to our nervous system and our physiological systems. Um, you know, there's a lot that comes into play there. So, um, a, you're talking about your ability to hear. So one's ability to hear how effective is it, you know, when you're, when you're born and you have a fresh set of ears, that's as good as your hearing is ever going to be. So largely degrades over time. Um, then we're, you know, we're talking about, um, you know, how we perceive sound. So what is your, uh, what is your environment? Again, getting back to the, the, the building environment, you know, our, our auditory system, uh, our psychoacoustic abilities can tell us the, the size of a room that you're sitting in just by listening to, um, you know, various sounds within that room. Uh, it can tell us, uh, whether a, an object, a moving object is traveling away from you or towards you, which is, you know, the, the, the Doppler effect. Um, so there, there's a lot that goes into our, our understanding of, um, you know, how sound is applied through our, through our auditory system, um, and perceived by our brain, um, in terms of its impact. You know, a lot of that is um, environmental. So, you know, where where are you? What levels are you experiencing? What is the length of exposure at that level? Um, you know, that those are things that not only damage our our ability to hear, but can also cause uh, mental fatigue, uh, physical fatigue. Um, you know, and impacts impacts our quality of life you know so if you want to do a, a, a compare and contrast with say a urban environment versus a, a rural environment uh you know the urban environment has a you know a near constant din of traffic uh people uh, sirens um you know l trains uh aircraft flying over so th there's basic constant background noise uh, that can lead to depression, anxiety, um, disrupt your sleep, uh, can impede your focus, concentration. Uh, you know, compare that to, uh, you know, being on a farm or out in a rural area where there's, you know, it's largely quiet. You know, you're much, much more likely to be able to focus, um, sleep soundly. Uh, you just, it's much more peaceful and serene. So, you know, that's, those are the impacts uh, that sound in our auditory system and psychoacoustics all kind of meld together uh, 
to um, you know, have an impact on, on people's lives. It, it would seem to me that just from my own personal experience that there's that when we you use the, the illustration of the, 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 the continued background noise of an urban environment versus the very quiet environment of a, uh, of a rural environment, and that our brains train themselves over time to a certain extent. So it's not like the, these, the phenomenon isn't in a bubble. The, the phenomenon is, uh, is like a perceived level of relativity to a certain extent, because it, I, I, have, I have felt like going from someplace that's, that's quiet that I've been in for a while into someplace that's noisy, you, that, that disrupts your focus, that disrupts your, your concentration, that sort of thing. But after, after a while, you get used to it, right? Uh, and, and then vice versa, you know, people that, uh, you know, you, you might want to go find like a quiet place to study or something like that. And actually the quiet makes it hard for you to study if you're used to the background noise. Definitely. Yeah. I, I think there's certainly a, a component of that. Yeah. That getting that, uh, you know, basically training your, your brain onto a, uh, a particular level of background noise, um, certainly is uh, something that happens there. That, so, so that being said, um, is, is the level of perception different for different people? Um, you know, can, can you have, could you have a situation like an office space where the people that have worked there for, you know, two, three, five, ten years don't recognize that there's any sort of an acoustical issue, but there, there might be because new people that come into that office space, you know, they don't stick around for much more than, you know, a couple months because they're getting irritated and that sort of thing. Like, do, do you see much of that where, uh, you know, people are kind of living with an issue because they didn't realize it was an issue? Yes. You know, that's, that's certainly, um, I'd say probably more of an outlier where, um, yeah, it, it could be isolated to that group of folks uh, versus people coming in. Um, but you know, that kind of looks at our individual ability to hear and to perceive, uh, based on how well your hearing performs. Uh, you know, are you able to hear a particular frequency, uh, that, that is annoying to some people, but not to others, you know, so that, that is certainly a, a an issue for some folks where, you know, some people just can't hear it because they've gone to, uh, you know, too many, too many concerts over the years or, or I'm raising know. my hand by the way on that one, Judas, <laughs> I, I really want to thank Judas priest for destroying my hearing. <laughs> yep. That's uh that is a factor. Certainly. All right, so um, I'm going to take uh, I'm going to I'm going to take this conversation on a little bit of a left turn here. Uh, so I got an I, I got a, an advertisement in my email the other day from a lighting rep um, talking about these acoustical lighting fixtures. Mm. What the hell yeah. is that? <laughs> well, so these are. A re a largely they're just a reaction um, to modern interior design uh, that relies heavily on hard, flat surfaces that do not uh, offer much in terms of 
sound absorption and are very effective at you know reflecting it rather. So are you telling me the the the, the pillows full of jeans aren't catching on? <laughs> nope, <laughs> not quite. Mom jeans are coming back. So um, they so the adding so the goal is to add uh, soft materials to you know, wherever we possibly can in order to provide some means of sound absorption. Hey, why don't we slap some, some fuzz onto our light fixtures? So, you know, where we're, what we're seeing is they, you know, it's a thick felt or a, a fabric wrapped fiberglass panel, uh, you know, either, you know, slapped onto the side of a linear fixture or, uh, you know, creating the the shading element or something of that nature. Um, you know, that's all fine and good. You know, in a in a vacuum, you know, those products absorb sound. Yes. The inherent problem with that is they do not provide a you know a meaningful amount of surface area with which to absorb sound in an otherwise large space. So if you have a large reverberant space where you would say, you know, if we did some some modeling and some calculations and we determined that you need, you know, 2,500 square feet of surface treatment, um, some of which would ideally be at the ceiling and the lighting rep comes back and says, oh, I can put some acoustic fixtures in there. There's a very, very small likelihood that you're able to get the uh, the square footage you need out of just leveraging those types of fixtures. Can they augment uh, some more traditional types of acoustic treatment? Absolutely. Um, do they look good? Yeah, it's up to you. But, um, you know, they can be useful, but... In general, they're not a uh, be-all, end-all solution. All right. Uh, so, I'm as 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 we're sitting here talking about this, I'm just I've got the gears going and that sort of thing. Um, does anybody make like a you know uh, uh, a linear lighting fixture that you might see in an office that actually has sound masking sound masking speakers built into them? I do know of one loudspeaker manufacturer that partnered with a lighting manufacturer to make a linear light with loudspeakers built in uh, but I've only seen one so it's not typically a uh, it's not a trend I've seen okay all right all right so uh, let's start to uh, let's start to bring this towards the bottom of the hill here so um, what are some what are some best practices that you would recommend uh, that, that people could employ without without necessarily needing the analysis you know that we go into a space and it's obviously it's obvious there's a reverberation problem in here I don't need you to come out and tell me there's a reverberation problem in here what what can I do without going and, and, and buying an analysis and this and that and the other you know, it's more of that stabbing in the dark. So, you know, we can, buying buying the analysis or hiring the acoustician is going to tell you, you know, how, how much treatment you need, what type of treatment you need, and where to put that treatment. So, 
you know, you can go online and do, you know, a quick Google search of, you know, acoustic materials, acoustic panels, so on and so forth, and, you know, have generally pretty good results. Uh, some of those even have calculators where you can plug in some some information and, you know, voila, you've got a, a, a quick acoustic design. So, uh, you know, generally, if you've got reverberation problems, uh, you need fuzz. So that's, that is the, the uh, quick rule of thumb, more fuzz. All right. So what I'm hearing is that, uh, yeah, if I'm a building owner or if I'm a, you know, a developer or whatever, and I know that th this room is loud and I need to tone it down a little bit, then I, I can, uh, I can go out there and trial and error my way through it and probably get something that's acceptable. But if you want to know how to solve it right and solve it right the first time, get a professional involved. Right. You know, the, the, the thing is, or the problem is, is these materials are not necessarily cheap. So you, you can try and, and just, you know, wing it and go it alone. But, you know, the money that you'll spend on an acoustic consultant, you know, can save you money in the long run that you're not wasting on materials that you don't need um, or specifying the, the right materials. Yeah, I was going to say getting the wrong materials in there because the, the way these things are designed, they might be designed to to deal with specific frequencies or, or that sort of thing. So exactly. Um, so before we go, I wanted to uh, I, I did want to see if you were at liberty to talk about uh, an, an interesting acoustical issue that I know you worked on uh, recently that had to do with a cable TV company. <laughs> ah, yes, uh, which kind of goes back to your. Um, hearing things, some people hear things that other people's don't, that other people don't. Um, so a nice lady calls up our company and asks us if we do acoustics and we say yes. And she says, well, I have an issue that nobody else can figure, can seem to figure out. Will you come out and take a look at my house? So we go out um, and we go and sit and have a chat with her. And she tells us about her experience. And she tells us that she hears a, what's uh, basically a, a, a high frequency pitched sound at all times. And Myself and one of our, our junior acousticians look at each other and we're kind of confused because we don't really hear anything. And we ask her, you know, do you hear it now? She says, of, yes, of course I do. Okay, well, why don't we get out our measurement equipment? So we start taking measurements and right away you can see on our acoustic analyzers a what's really near to a, a 1000 Hertz uh, peak on the frequency spectrum that is sitting about, oh, say 20 dB above the noise floor, which if you have very sensitive hearing would be uh, audible. But if you, know, you have normal hearing, uh, it would be so quiet that it would, you know, it's probably inaudible to 98% of, of the population. And is that because of the, is that because of the, 
the the very narrow spectrum that that or the narrow, very narrow narrow frequency spectrum that that sound had, or is twenty b twenty that twenty dB you quoted above the noise floor not enough to be able to notice it? It's just plain too quiet. So um, it's generally below the threshold of most people's ability to hear. Um, so just it's just plain too quiet. So we start, you know, we start walking around her house, you know, looking for a source, you know, and she has told us that she's called electricians and plumbers and HVAC technicians. And she's done, uh, you know, had all these systems shut off and, you know, basically trying to figure out what the source of this noise was. Uh, it's a, you know, a nice home uh, in a resort community. So, um, lots of, lots of systems. Um, so, you know, we walk around and the unique thing about this signal was that it was of equal intensity, no matter where in the house you were. So one defining quality of sound is that it decreases in intensity as it travels further away from the source and this particular tone did not uh did not have any reduction in intensity as we moved around the house and so it was a good size house so we went you know in the attic we went in the basement we were across the main level and it was of uniform intensity throughout which was really a head scratcher so then like so we decided, well, let's, you know, walk around the neighborhood a little bit. And she happened to live very near a uh, electrical substation, which was probably uh, maybe a couple football fields away. So not super close, but, you know, not far away either. So we went and took our analyzers down to the substation and, uh, you know, some, some uh, harmonics of, you know, the, you know, 60 Hertz, um, were evident, but nothing, uh, appeared to be the source of this, you know, near thousand Hertz tone. And it was still present, uh, even near the, uh, substation. So we ruled that out as a possible source. Um, then, you know, the, the one thing she had, indicated to us that, you know, she couldn't hear it in the summer. Um, so that was kind of curious. And so we asked her, you know, do you typically have your air conditioner on? Uh, so on and so forth. She's like, no, I have my, my doors and windows open all day and at night to keep it cool. Which was curious because, you know, she has, uh, there's a highway 82 that runs through the Roaring Fork Valley down below. So again, you have sound masking over this thousand hertz tone. So you have uh, enough traffic noise and environmental noise coming in through the house to cover up the noise to the point where she couldn't hear it. So we kind of leave there somewhat dumbfounded and she, we were just chatting about technology and, and different things. And she said she had just replaced her cell phone with this new Comcast cell phone or Xfinity Mobile, as they call it. 
And I said, oh, really? When did you get that? She's like, oh, well, it just became available in our neighborhood about right around the time that this noise started. And so through some research on uh, some FCC websites and some, you know, just kind of uh, forensic uh, digging on the Internet, we were able to determine that around the time that this noise started, that a cellular tower was installed in the near vicinity and that it was being brought online and commissioned during while while we were there taking measurements what ended up happening was we ended up going back to follow up with her while we were in the in the area and uh to take some additional measurements and sure enough the sound was gone no more no more tone and I look at her and I say, well, do you still hear it? She says, no. I'm like, oh, okay then. Well, I guess we'll be on our way. <laughs> so the evidently the uh, cellular tower had been out of some out of tune, so to speak. And there was this tone being generated and nobody could hear it except for this woman thought she was crazy because nobody else could hear it but turns out that you know we were able to provide her with some peace of mind just by looking at uh, our acoustic analyzers and showing her that there was indeed a, a pervasive thousand hertz tone that uh, was that you know existed everywhere in her house well there you go moral of the story hire an acousticians to uh, to prove that you're not nuts Exactly. All right. Well, uh, definitely want to thank you for uh, for the, all of the valuable insight uh, that you've uh, that you've given us here. Um, so, uh, anything coming up in your world that you want to plug here before we say goodbye? Uh, I want to encourage everybody to protect your hearing. Wear your earplugs or uh, protective earmuffs. Uh, you only get one set of ears, and once they're gone, they're gone. So, I'll leave you with that. Good call. Good call. So uh, our next topic uh, that we're gonna we're gonna jump into gonna be a little less technical, a little bit more culture oriented. We're gonna we're gonna get a couple of uh, Gen Zers on the on the podcast here and uh, just talk about what it's like being new in the industry, some of the challenges that they're uh, that, that that they're facing, some of the things that uh, are you know really industry based that they might want to change, and uh, you know some of the things that they really like about what they're doing and are excited to uh, to, to further develop. So. Uh, I want to thank you all for turning into uh, to Building Matters. We hope you enjoyed the content. Our podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. So you can head your favorite podcatcher and subscribe to automatically receive new content as it is published. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can send us an email at buildingmatters at bgbuildingworks.com or visit our website at bgbuildingworks.com. And we will talk to you on the next episode of Building Matters.